Good morning, church. So I want to start today by telling you a little-known fact about myself. Um, I really appreciate art. Now, I'm not someone I would consider an art buff by any means. I don't go to art museums, and I honestly could only tell you maybe a few names of artists over the course of human history, um, Bob Ross being one of those. But every once in a while, a video will pop up on social media of someone taking a blank canvas or a blank piece of paper and turning it into an extraordinary picture. I get so enthralled with this because I could never do this. For example, here's a video of a time lapse of someone painting a photorealistic bag of peanut M&Ms. Now, even if this person is looking at the bag of M&Ms, the fact that they can break it down and paint it onto this piece of paper astonishes me. I love that there are people in the world who get an idea like this in their head, and then they can make that idea into something tangible by drawing on a piece of paper, painting on a canvas, molding it out of clay, chipping away at stone, whatever the material is. I love that they can create something out of nothing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that we are a new creation. Essentially what he's saying here is that God took our nothingness and not only turned it into something, but turned it into something great. But I'm afraid a lot of Christians struggle with this verse because we don't feel like new creations. This can be especially prominent when we are in a spiritual valley or even just a spiritual slump. We think to ourselves, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't feel any different. Maybe you're struggling with the thought that your life wouldn't look much different if you didn't believe in Jesus. The good news is, I believe this is a natural process that a lot of Christians go through. But I also don't believe Paul is telling us that we are new creations so that we will feel differently. I think he's telling us this so we can understand a position we hold. Let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Beginning in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says that Christ's love compels him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I like that word compels, but it honestly doesn't convey what Paul is trying to say here. If you look at other translations, it says controls, but I don't like that word at all because Paul is not conveying a forced action like he's a puppet and then God is the puppeteer. Paul is saying because of Christ's great love for us, he just can't help but tell people about the message of Jesus. And what is that message? That Christ died for everyone. He's going to go into the implications of Christ's death in a few verses, so we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Right now, I want to talk more about our motivation for following Christ. If you've been in church a while, you know that salvation, the salvation that comes through Christ is a free gift that God gives through his grace. Most of us can agree on that. But it's after we come to Christ that things get a little muddled. We think because of this great gift, we have to do something. So we do everything that we can think of to try to be better. 
And these aren't necessarily bad things. They could be things like reading your Bible, praying more, or even coming to church. And we can all agree those are good things to do. The problem becomes when somehow, some way, our mindset shifts to those are the things we have to do to keep our salvation. When our mindset shifts that way, that's when guilt starts to creep in and begins to tell us that we need to do more and more because we aren't good enough. Our guilt begins to tell us that God is probably upset with us, and this can ultimately lead to legalism, where our position before God is based on performance. Now, you might be saying, Robbie, we just read where Paul said we shouldn't live for ourselves and we should live for Christ. And I agree with you 100%. But not if your motivation is based out of guilt and not the love that Christ has for you. There's a reason we should never feel guilt when we are in Christ. Um, Paul's about to go into that, so let's continue. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded, regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Paul tells us that if we are in Christ, then the new creation has come. Uh, if you have an NIV, which is this translation, uh, you probably have a footnote that says, or that person is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. So this is where we can get a little confused about what Paul is actually talking about. Whenever we hear new creation, we tend to think of transformation, and we should. But we almost always think of transformation on a physical level. So we think we should look different as a new creation. Maybe we'll think of transformation on an emotional, mental, or spiritual level. And when you are in Christ, spiritual transformation does happen. But for most of us, that's not an immediate thing. But we read this, and Paul makes it sound like spiritual transformation is an immediate thing when we become a Christian. So what's going on here? Well, Paul is not talking about anything we do to change spiritually. Let me reiterate that. This is not about anything we do. The things that change, or the thing that changes when we become a Christian, is how God views us. In God's eyes, we are now a new creation because of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, before we were separated from God, and now we are joined to God through Christ. In verses 18 and 19, Paul talks about this when he talks about reconciliation. To Paul, this is the gospel. Because through the sacrifice of Christ, the wrath of God was completely satisfied. God's reconciliation is his promise to us that he will view us differently when we believe in his son. He will no longer be mad or even ups upset with us even when we mess up royally. He is unconditionally pleased with us, and that's not based on how good or bad we are. But most importantly, it allows his spirit to live inside of us to show us that there is a better way to live. 
All we have to do is believe that Jesus actually accomplished that on the cross. This is why our motivation should never be guilt, because God doesn't use guilt as motivation. He uses his love and his spirit to not only motivate us, but to transform us into this new creation he already sees us as. And this is huge, because since I'm a new creation, my identity is rooted in Christ. In fact, when God looks at me, all he sees is Christ. No longer am I identified as the sinful person I once was. No longer am I the anger that I struggle with. No longer am I the person that complains about everything. And no longer are you the person that struggles with whatever you struggle with. Yes, we will still struggle with those sins, and yes, we will continue to grow for the rest of our life. But Satan can no longer hold those sins against us because our identity is Christ. There's a humility that comes with the realization that God does not view us as our sin. It's a humility that should lead us to view others the way that God views them. Not by what they struggle with, but as a child of God. This is why Paul says that we regard no one from a worldly point of view anymore. I mean, how can you when God himself doesn't view his children that way? I am convinced that more people would want to come to church if we started telling them who they are in Christ instead of telling them all the ways they need to do better. We finish this chapter by Paul telling us this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of God's great love for us, because we have been reconciled to God and been given the message of reconciliation, because we are new creations, and God now views us differently because we believe in his Son. We are Christ's ambassadors. Now, when I think of being an ambassador, that scares me. Because I think of someone like David Ortiz or John Magnus or Mike Scalar who has never met a stranger. I love these guys because you'll see they'll go up to anybody and be like, oh, hey, hey, it's nice to meet you. And church, you've gotten to know me well enough that that's not who I am. That is not a gift the Spirit has given me. And that's okay. Because being an ambassador for Christ is not a cookie-cutter method. Being an ambassador for Christ is understanding what it means to be a new creation, which again is about how God views us and not about what we do. And then making the most of the opportunities that God puts in front of us. I want to show you a video clip that illustrates how being an ambassador for Christ isn't always going to look like what we think it should look like. So let's watch this video.
guys' friendship is uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, we usually get together every once in a while to see what's going on in each other's lives. Just recently, a couple months ago, I just got married, and uh, Eric's been just full of advice uh, to really help my marriage out um, and really keep God the center. Matthew and I have a great friendship. Uh, he's just he's a great guy. We get together and, and get to talk about what God's doing in our lives, uh, what's going on at work, what's going on at home, just just everything about life we share together. There's a there's a bond there's a there's a camaraderie um, that's there that's I think just unique. The, the, the memories that we have, the things that we've shared, have just been um, amazing. Um, to be honest, I wish that our friendship would have started under different circumstances. I work as a firefighter EMT. Um, I was just finished uh, getting off a 24-hour shift. Uh, we had an extremely busy shift. Um, I really only got about 30 minutes of sleep. I drove home and uh, I didn't really feel the need that I, I needed to pull over. So about two miles from my house, um, I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and crossing the center line and uh, hitting an oncoming car head on. I had just woken up uh, that morning and, and I heard a pounding on the front door. And so I went to see what was going on and. Uh, senior pastor from my church where I serve, Jeff, was there. He had told me that my wife and my daughter had been in a car accident, that I need to get my keys, get my cell phone, get my wallet, and let's go. So I grabbed my stuff, we jumped in the truck, we went to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, uh, the chaplain met us uh, at the emergency room and kind of walked us to the counseling room. The doctor began to share kind of what had happened, that June had sustained um, severe head trauma. Um, some broken bones and, and the steering column had actually been um, crushed in towards her abdominal area. And due to the injuries that she sustained, um, that she had gone into cardiac arrest almost immediately, uh, the EMTs um, did everything that they could uh, on the way to the hospital to try to do aggressive CPR and, and keep her going. But when they got to the hospital, um, they, they pronounced her dead. Um, my wife was also pregnant, uh, almost seven months pregnant uh, with our son, and, um, and we lost him as well. Faith, uh, who was 19 months old at the time, was also in the car, but amazingly, uh, she came out of it with, uh, with no injuries, just some mild abrasions and some bruises. Um, hearing, hearing the news, uh, just trying to process it, not only did I lose uh, my wife and my best friend, but I also lost a son. <clears throat> I went outside uh, to call my mom and tell her what had happened. And it's the most difficult phone call I've ever had to make. So here I was, I just had the worst day of my life. Um, and, and I opened my Bible and I was just like, okay, God, you know, what do you have? I just lost my wife, I lost my son. And I remember uh, a sermon that I'd heard, oh, years ago just came back to my mind and it was talking about how that, that there's there's a bigger picture uh, going on and that we have a tendency to to look at our lives as little three by five snapshots and we tend to get focused on you know whether our three by five is okay or not and, and and we lose sight of the fact that God is doing bigger things his story is bigger than just ours that he paints on the canvas the size of the universe it was a turning point. I think it saved my life because if I was left to my own devices, my own ability to figure things out, I probably would have just crawled into my bed and just hid. Initially, I went through every emotion possible. 
Uh, it was really hard for me to come to grasp of how this could have happened to me and why this happened to me. I was a good kid. I was raised in a Christian home and how this could happen to Eric and his family, um, him being a youth pastor and really living his life for the Lord. Uh, for the first couple weeks afterwards, um, it really broke me down to the lowest of the low. And uh, one night I just, I threw my hands up in the air and I just gave up and I said, God, I need your help. And, and I'm really trusting you and putting all my faith in you that you had a reason for this and that you do have a plan. And it was that, that moment when it was like he placed his hand on my shoulder wrap me in a blanket of comfort. Initially it was tough not being able to talk to Eric because of legal issues. All I wanted to do was to make sure that he was okay and express my emotion and sorrow to him and I couldn't. Uh, all everybody could tell me is that, that Eric was praying for me and wishing comfort upon me and I really couldn't understand that but I knew that that was God working through him. So I got a call from the Solicitor General and uh, she was wanting to know how I wanted to pursue the case against Matthew. I could push for the maximum penalty, which possibly would have meant jail time, but would have definitely eliminated um, any hope of him being a firefighter in the future, or I could opt for a lesser charge. And I remember thinking that this, this would be a wonderful opportunity um, for God to get glory and for Christ to be um, lifted up. Uh, it's not gonna bring June back. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm certain he struggles every day, you know, just having to think through what happened. So I just decided to opt for the lesser charge uh, as an opportunity, again, to, to demonstrate God's forgiveness and God's love. The day before the two-year anniversary of the accident, I still had not spoken to Eric. I stopped at Poe's to get him a card, just let him know that I was thinking about him and praying for him and his family. As I got out of my truck to walk into the store, I saw Eric walking towards me. There were just tears uh, streaming down his face. I, I, just, I just walked up to him and I gave him a hug. And um, we embraced for a short time. And then I began to share with him kind of what God had taught me uh, these past two years and, and about the big perspective that, you know, that God had given me. Um, he began to share what was on his heart. And it was just, there was a connection. Um, there, there was a bond that was immediately developed. Um, and we talked for an hour and a half to two hours, and it was just a, it was a beautiful time where we shared um, just experiencing God's grace, God's healing, the power of forgiveness, restoration. Um, I communicated to him a desire that I had to, to stay involved in his life, to, to invest in a relationship with him from this point forward, and he immediately um, echoed the same sentiment to me that that was something that he had desired as well. And we wanted to just stay in touch and continue to grow in, in our relationship with each other as we continue to grow with, with God. And it was just to me amazing how God orchestrated all of this uh, together. I mean, we happened to be at the same place on the same day to talk for the first time. And I remember thinking, had we not met, uh, and had this conversation, we wouldn't be where we are today. In fact, it was an opportunity that God used to not only heal and bless us, but we feel like it's going to be one that He uses to heal and bless others as well. All I remember is Eric telling me that he wasn't mad at me, that he didn't blame me. And all I could tell him is how sorry I was. God has taught me through Eric the power of forgiveness, healing through forgiveness and his faithfulness. Me and Eric now share a bond that is unbreakable. And through Eric's friendship, my life has forever changed.
Now, don't think this is a rainbows and butterflies kind of story. Um, it's, been a, it's been a rough road. It's been a lot of lonely nights, um, tremendous pain, um, thoughts of uncertainty and, and frustration. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish June was still here. But through it all, God has been with me. You know, I never would have wanted to endure what I went through, and I never want to feel that way again. But I am who I am today because of what God has done in me through these circumstances. And for that, I'm thankful. You know, one thing I've learned from this whole experience is this, is that God is faithful. And that when our little bit of faith would intersect with His faithfulness, God shows up big and does some amazing things in us and through us. That is a powerful story about forgiveness and understanding that God has, a, has bigger things happening around us than we could ever know. How Eric handled that situation did not happen by human effort. Uh, there was clearly supernatural power happening in that moment to not only give Eric peace, but also to give him the wisdom and courage to trust God. Eric understood that he is a new creation in Christ. And although being a new creation is not based on what you do, being a new creation will change how you handle situations and interact with the world around you. I want to finish up today by going through what I believe are things that will help us understand what it means to be a new creation. <clears throat> new creations are more focused on who they are in Christ and not what they have to do. New creations understand that they cannot transform themselves, so they allow the Spirit of God to do the transforming. New creations are more focused on loving others rather than making sure they have correct theology. New creations understand it's not anything they do to bring people to Christ, but that they are just a vessel that God uses. New creations do not beat themselves up when they commit the same sin over and over again because they understand God no longer defines them by their sin. New creations are motivated out of the love of Christ and not out of fear and guilt. New creations focus on what they can change in their own lives rather than focusing on what other people need to change in their lives. And new creations understand that they will never be perfect in this world, but because of Christ. God already sees them as perfect. Today, I want you to leave understanding that if you believe in Jesus, then you are a new creation. What does that mean for your life today? It means you can go home and confidently believe that God is pleased with you. I challenge you to go home and reflect on this and see where the Spirit of God takes you. Maybe this will take you down a path of healing. Maybe this will take you down a path of better understanding. I don't know where this will take you. But I will tell you that the more you understand how God views you, the deeper your spiritual journey will become. If you've processed this, that today and you're thinking, I, I need some help with this, we're about to sing a song, and it's a great time to come down and have our elders pray over you. But honestly, if anything is weighing on your heart, and this is a great time just to be surrounded by our church family. So if you need that, please come as we sing this song.